This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Today, Lord, I pray in these brief moments we have together that you will speak to us through your word and you will change who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. The blood of Jesus has stained us, okay? And what I mean by that is that we are no longer stained by sin, but now we are washed in the blood of Jesus and we bear his mark upon our life. Everybody knows to whom we belong. And we celebrated that based off of the fact that he said he was a worm on the cross, and there was a reason for that. And I don't want to preach that message, but part of that process was the staining of, of the offspring. And we became his offspring. We became the children of God, stained with the blood of Jesus. And so building upon that, we come now to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 29 and verse number 1. I feel like I may be the only pastor in America preaching this verse on Easter Sunday. Read this with me. What sorrow awaits, Ariel. Hallelujah. Nobody shouting yet. The city of David. For year after year you celebrate your feast. Yet I will bring disaster upon you, and there will be much weeping and sorrow. For Jerusalem, watch this, this is key to the whole message, Jerusalem will become what her name, Ariel, means. An altar covered or stained with blood. We have been given a spiritual calling. We have been called and chosen to bear a certain name. I fear, though, that we have been placed in a, a tomb of doubt and in a tomb of despair. We have been placed in a place of failure because, watch this, I feel like we have not yet lived up to our name. We've lived and we've tried and we, we, we've, we've pushed forward, but it seems that we become marked or, listen to me carefully, named by our failures, named by our past, named by our sins. And no matter how hard we try to outlive that past, we feel that those who might know us might still place upon us that scarlet letter, as it were, that carries us based on who we used to be, not on who we are, because that's what now we have been named. It's as if it's been sealed as as it were the day they rolled the stone upon a tomb and they sealed it they took wax and then marked it with authority and they listen to me carefully and the only one who could break that seal was somebody of a higher authority someone with more authority someone who had more authority could break the seal. But yet we struggle because we have been sealed under the names of failure. And I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I feel very strongly about this message. We have been sealed under the names of failure and we have, what's this, lived up to those failures. We have lived up to those struggles time and time again. We try to get on our feet. We dust ourselves off and we're running and we're doing good. And all of a sudden, boom, we face plant and there we are again. Can I get an amen from anybody? And it seems that we've been named by the wrong name far too many times and for far too long. But God has a plan. Let me just say it again. God has a plan. And I want to remind you that it takes somebody of a higher authority to break the seal. It takes somebody of a higher authority. 
We talk about that seal because Jesus was laid behind a seal and no one could break that seal unless one with higher authority showed up. So I want you to keep that in mind of what you've been named and how it sealed your life. Now, I know you're probably thinking, why Isaiah chapter 29 on Easter weekend? Certainly, Pastor, you could have preached from the Gospels. I remember one dear old saint came up to me and she said, would you please preach out of the New Testament? I said, just give me time. I'm getting there. But listen to me. At least we could have made it to Romans. But there's something about this passage in Isaiah 29 that points toward the hope. The scripture all points towards Jesus. The scripture all points toward the hope of Christ. Every block that is laid, every line that is given, all points towards Jesus. It all points to what Jesus wants to do in our lives. Now in this passage, we read about a city that God is going to have judgment on. And no one shouted with me when I read about the judgment that is coming. None of us want to talk about judgment But here in Isaiah chapter 29, in the first two verses, three times we see the city mentioned, a certain city. But it is not mentioned by the same name each time, but it is mentioned by a different name. Can I tell you that some of you have far too many names? You've been given far too many names that describe your failures and your past and your struggles. But there is a name. I love what the scripture says, that he wants to write a name upon you that is only from you and only he knows it. And because we've been named by the wrong far too long. But there are three names given here that are very significant for us to understand why I would bring this on an Easter Sunday. The first is Ariel. We would say Ariel, but, but the name is a Hebrew name. This name, it literally is a rooted all the way back. The very beginnings of this name is Ariel. The city of David is given here in this passage, and then Jerusalem is given here in this passage. So what we know as modern-day Jerusalem is described in this passage by Ariel, the city of David, and Jerusalem. Now, I know this can be a bit confusing, but if you'll stay with me for a moment, it's worth the ride. Trust me. Have you ever had somebody say, get in the car, we're going to drive up to one of these mountain creameries, and we're going to have some of that ice cream? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you wish somebody said, get in the car, let's go up there now. Amen. And, and you're like, man, it's curvy and it's long and you didn't really have time. But when you get there, it was worth the ride. Amen. This is worth the ride when we get there. Stay with me. You see, there's something about the power of the passage that we find here that says that Ariel will become, listen, or live up to her name. This is important. She will live up to her name what it means, okay, to live up to one's name. We might say that you must live up to your name. Now, we spend a lot of time trying to decide what to name our children. I mean, most of us just don't just don't say, you know, thus shall it be. I heard about a, a guy who when he moved from his home country and he came here and immigration said, do you want to keep the same name? And, and he was so excited. He was, he was going to pick some name like, you know, like Superman. He was just a boy. They were going to let him pick his name. He was, you know, at least Clark Kent or whatever that was. He was going to pick the right name. And, and, and he was about ready to say what he is, his name was going to be. He was going to be some superhero name that all of a sudden they brought him before his grandfather. And his grandfather declared, I have decided to name him. And he's sitting there praying for something like, you know, like, you know, Apollo or something. And he said, he looked at him and said, your name is Erwin. He said, there's no superhero named Irwin. Come on now, man. 
There's something about the names that we choose, and there was a reason that grandfather chose that name. You see, we want to name our children something that they can live up to. Not many times that we ever, that when we name our children there, it's a family name. It's a name that must be carried on. My middle name is a family name. It's my father's first name. And, 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 but we, we rarely ever name our children with something they can live down to. I mean, think about that. You rarely ever would name your child after some relative who, who, who you'd, you'd be like, yep, they're acting just like him. Well, I guess some of you do that when you say they're acting just like his daddy, but anyway, let's go on. You see, we, ba- we name our families based upon our hope for them. For example, my name. My name and my first and middle name. My first name means great leader. My middle name means lame one. I fear on some days I live up to both of them. Come on now, amen. I'm a lame leader. Don't just, just, just move on. Come on now. So what do we name our children? Watch this. We name them based on what we hope for them. I thought that was interesting. I thought I'd check and see what the top four boy names in America currently are and the top four girls' names. The top boy name is Liam, which means strong-willed warrior. There's hope in that name. The next name in popularity is Noah, which is rest and comfort. There's hope in that name. The third name is William, which means strong protector. There's hope in that name. The fourth name for boys is James, which means the one who follows. See, all of these names are named that way because we have a hope that what, what they might become. In girls, the number one name in America currently is Emma, which means whole. Hear the hope in that name that she shall be whole. Olivia Sackett, which means olive tree, that that would give life. Ava Bird, that she might be beautiful in nature. Isabella, uh, it means pledge to God that she might honor God with her life. You see, we name our children based on the hope we have in a name. We'll even tell our family now, when you go forward, you better remember who you are. You better live up to your name. Remember your, uh, we'll tell them that. Or sometimes we'll say to our spouse, they're acting more like your family. Come on, amen. You see, we want to give our children every advantage, so we try and start them out with a hand up in a name. So back to Isaiah chapter 29, what are the hopes in the names? First, I want you to see the, the, the name Jerusalem. Jerusalem is how you would actually say that. But Jerusalem uh, means a peace, the city of Peace, Jerusalem. It means the city of peace. The second name that we saw here and that I want to bring out to you quickly is the city of David, which means that of promise, the city of promise, that, that it was based upon the promise of the Mashiach, the Messiah that would come. So we see two very clear messages of hope in what this city is called. It shall be a place of peace, and, and it's still trying to get there. Come on. And it shall be a place that the Messiah, the promised one, shall come to. Can I tell you, he came there, but he's going to come there again one day. But this time he's not coming in a manger. The next time he shows up, he's going to put his foot down on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in half and all the world shall declare who he is and what he's come to do. Amen. You see, there's a layer of hope in these names. And I want you to understand that, that what hope really is, hope is a feeling of expectation. Hope is that desire for a certain thing to happen. It's very important that they named the city because they had desires for the city. They had expectations of what might be accomplished there. And this is very, very, very important. What you hope for determines what you see. 
What you're hoping for determines what you see. You see, when you're hoping for change, you'll start seeing change. When you are hoping for change, you'll start seeing progress. You see, this is very evident because we'll see signs that other people miss. Everybody else sees you the same size. They haven't seen the dieting you've been doing or the workouts you've been doing. And so the fact you can close the coat, you see it, though everybody else doesn't see it. Come on now. The fact that, that you've been trying, you, you see it because you're hoping for something. And by hoping for something, you see it more clearly. I've seen this probably manifest more in, in the realm of the mother than anybody else. She'll be looking at, at that little, little tornado running around and say, isn't he precious? Come on now. Or they'll come up and you meet some guy and he is like, he is messed up. And his mama pat him on the shoulder and say, he's doing so good. Why? Because she sees what she's hoping for. Stay with me now. She sees what she's hoping for. You see, what we are hoping for will be what we see. And what we are hoping for will also determine how we see God. This is very important. What we're hoping for will determine how we see God. You will see God through the lenses of your need. The way you are, where you find yourself, what you need God to do, that's how you're searching for him. That's how you're looking for him. And that's how you're going to envision God. And we're going to come back to the last name for just a moment, but I want you to get this and understand this. When we are hoping for a better outcome, we are looking for a God with that kind of outcome in mind. So when there was a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road and he heard that the Mashiach, the Messiah, was passing by, he had a vision in his mind of what that must be like if he could see him because he was looking for a healer. And when he cried out to Jesus, he found the Rapha. He found the healer in that moment because he was looking for a healer. I thought about those that needed God to go forward before them in battle. And so they would look for what we would say, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. That means the Lord's going before me into this battle because I need a deliverer. Or how about what I preached to you just a few weeks ago when I talked to you about the fact that, that Abraham and Isaac went up the mountain and I, and Abraham was so dead and Isaac was too. They were so desperately looking for what the sacrifice was really going to be. Certainly the Lord's going to intervene. Certainly the Lord's going to provide. And when the Lord provides, he turns around and he calls him. Watch this. He calls him Jairah, my provider. You see, you see God based on what you're hoping for. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. If you need a comforter, he said, I go away and I will send another who is the comforter. If you listen to me carefully, I want you to get this. If you need a shepherd, you remember that he is the good shepherd. If you need a redeemer because you've got yourself in over your head, we remember the fact that scripture presents him as the kinsman. What's this redeemer? That means that an elder relative comes to the rescue and steps in and bails me out when I can't get myself out of trouble. I have a redeemer and his name is Jesus, my elder brother. Come on now. When I need a counselor, I have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And when I need peace, I just happen to know how to get in touch with the prince of peace. You see, our hope has a name. Our hope has a name that is revealed by what we are hoping for. Now, with this in mind, I don't want to preach super long, but with this in mind, I want to return to Isaiah chapter 29 for just a moment to the first word that we read there that, that says, woe or, or, or behold to thee, Ariel. This is important. 
Woe to you, the blood stained. Watch this. The blood stained. There's that word again. Stained altar. This is an important word. This is not Ariel, as we would say. This is the Hebrew beginning of this name, Ari, which means lion, El, God. So Ariel means lion of God. This is very, very important. The lion of God became a symbolic name for Jerusalem. The city of peace became known as the victorious lion of God. Ariel, victorious under God. As long as I'm under God, I have victory because something's going to happen. But here's the key that we desperately need to understand why I would preach this on uh, Easter Sunday morning. I want you to catch this. The other meaning that we see here in this passage is that Ariel is also the altar of sacrifice. Stay with me now. This is important. The altar of sacrifice. Why would the children of Israel call the altar? Altar of sacrifice, the Lion of God. Why would they call it Ariel? What does that have to do with anything? How does that how, how does that bring me forward toward the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in my life? This is so cool. When God showed me this, it just blew my mind. You see that if you're going to have victory, the people of Israel knew there was a sacrifice that had to be made on the altar, and they would come to the altar because before they would try to fight on their own strength, they would remember the words of old. That not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the way they would connect with the spirit of God was they had to go via the altar. Listen to me. And via the altar, they realized as long as I start sacrificing first to God and I get myself in line with the altar, stay with me, and I get myself in line with the altar, there's victory on the other side of the altar. There's victory on the other side of that place. Why is this important? Again, stay with me. But you've got to understand that Saul couldn't wait to do it right. So he offered wrong sacrifice and there was no victory. But when the right sacrifice was offered, they understood if I can just make it to the altar, if I can just get things right at the altar, I can walk over whatever enemy comes against me because there's power at the altar. I want you to stay with me for just a moment. The altar of sacrifice became their strength, and it was also called the light of God. In other words, that there was a light that shone in the darkness, very much the same description here, and the world didn't comprehend it. Why? Because it didn't invite them to the palace. It invited them to the altar, because if you come to the altar and you get things right at the altar, then everything's going to work out in your life. So why is this important? Because we have been called the light of the world and we've got to get to the altar as the church and we've got to start living up to the name that we've been called to. We have been called no longer of our own name, but we have been called the children of the most high God. We have been called Christians and the only way we're going to live up is if we start at the altar. You're still not with me. Why don't you go to the book of Revelation, and I'll, I'll make my point clear in the book of Revelation. I hope I can make it clear in the book of Revelation. There's victory on the other side of what? The altar. There's victory on the other side of what? The altar. And so I realize that I only see God based upon what I'm hoping for and what I need. What I need determines how I see God. I saw something in Revelation chapter 5 that I've never seen before. It blew my mind. It literally rocked my perspective in Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, because I see him based on what I need. 
Revelation 5, 1 reads like this. Then I saw a scroll, notice this is important, in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. I saw something written, and it was closed up. There was writing on the inside and the outside. That just keeps jumping out on me. He could see that, that, that there, was a, there was a prophecy contained. There was a future inside. He could see that something was about to be released. And notice this. Ready? Watch this. It was sealed. What did I tell you in the beginning? There was a seal placed upon your life that it'll take somebody with greater authority to break. Watch this. There was a seal placed upon a tomb that it took someone with greater authority to break. And there was a seal with seven seals upon it. And he said, I saw, I love this verse because it's a loud mouth somebody and it reminds me of us, us other loud mouth people. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with what? A loud voice. Watch what he said. Who is worthy to break the seals? Who has enough authority? Who has enough power to break the seals on this scroll and to open it? But no one, notice this, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Nobody could get them free. Nobody could show them what was on the inside. Nobody could break the scroll because there was nobody, watch that, in heaven or on earth or under the earth who had the authority to bring about the breaking of the the seal. Watch this now. So what does John do? Then I began to weep. Watch this. Bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. I'm trying to get somewhere, but I feel a message just bubbling up inside of me. Somebody in this place, the devil has tried to describe who you are and what you can be based on who you were and what you did. And he put a seal and he marked it down on your life. I've come to tell you, just like the seal could not hold Jesus in the grave, that seal can't hold you back because one with more authority has come on the seal and he's the seal-breaking God. He's the king of... I don't know. This is for this service. I didn't say it in the other service. Watch this. Watch this. See, the problem is you've been trying to find somebody else's God, but you can see God the way you need him. Watch this now. Now, watch this. I love this. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. I love this, this next, what's the next word? Oh, but one of the 24 elders. Now you've got to understand who this is. These are 24 beings that stand in the presence of the living God crying, holy, holy, holy. It's always triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. Somebody needs to get on that train with me. Let's go together. Holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. Let's do it again. Holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. And they do this around the throne of God nonstop all the time. And all of a sudden, one of them notices that standing next to him, there's a man weeping when he ought to be crying holy. Can I tell you, instead of crying and defeated, going, I'm just going to stay messed up far too long, that's your problem. You've been worshiping your problem long enough. It's time for you to look up and see what stands before you and join me in the praise of the universe crying out, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. For he has what? Redeemed us unto God by his blood. 
All right. Watch this. And the elder says, hey, watch this. Stop weeping. How do you see God? Based upon what you need. What you're hoping for. Watch what the, watch this. The elder said, watch this now. Stop weeping, weeping. Look, the lion, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne. He has won the victory. He has the authority. He is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seal. Watch this. He's worthy. He's holy. I'm supposed to move on to the next point, but I'm stuck here for just a moment. Maybe literally. I'm like, listen to me. I want you to get this. He is the only one. No program, no government, nobody you can date, nobody you're married to, not your mom, not your dad, not some church, not some pastor, not some religion of this world can break the seal that holds you down. There is only one that is worthy because the seal that tried to hold him back couldn't stop him either. Why don't you give him a praise like he deserves? So what did the elder say? Behold the... Lion. Now watch this. Then John, who's weeping, looks up. How do you how do you see God? Based on your and then he said, I beheld a lamb. A lamb that had been slain. Watch this. The elder didn't see the lamb because he didn't need the lamb. The elder had never left God's presence. He's a being that did not know sin. He didn't need the lamb. So what he saw, all he saw was the fact that God got up off a throne and went for 33 years, died, and they put him in a tomb. And he had, and he had walked back in in victory. Watch this now. And what he saw was the reigning, victorious lion with authority. But John was a broken man. And he needed the lamb. One saw him one way, and another saw him another way. That, my goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost. That's why somebody calls him friend, and somebody calls him Lord. Somebody calls him the lily of the valley, and somebody calls him the bright morning star. Somebody calls him the ever-present out, help in my day of trouble. Somebody calls him the strong shield and buckler. Somebody calls him uh, all the things that they need, my healing, my deliver, my, my, my rescue. They call him all the different things because they're seeing him in relation to their need. But I tell you today, I call him Jesus because hope has a name, and that name has lived up to every single name attached to him. He has never left one in bondage. He has never left one in defeat. He has never left one who he could not deliver, for his hand is not shortened. His name is Jesus, and he's always lived up to his name. Now, what does that have to do with Isaiah 29? It became a blood-covered altar, it says. It became an altar. So watch this now. This is important for us. If victory's on the other side of the altar, I need to know how I'm going to get to the other side of the altar. I couldn't get to the victory until the sacrifice was made on the altar. 
What was the sacrifice on the altar? The lamb. Are you following me? Watch this now. The blood had to stain the altar of the lamb. How did the elders see him? The lion. How did John see him? The lamb. Stand with me. I want you to get this today. Stand with me. Watch this. Watch this. I've got to get to the victory on the other side of the altar. How am I going to get to the other side of the altar? And everything's pointing toward Jesus. And there's a name, and his name is Jesus that all hope is in. But I've got to get to the victory on the other side of the altar. Watch this. And the name of the altar was the Lion of God. What did the elders see? The Lion of God. So it tells me that Jesus was the altar. Watch this. Block upon block. Stay with me. If Jesus was the altar... And Jesus was the lamb. Watch this. That Jesus on himself offered himself to stain that place so that I might come across to the victory on the other side. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about the fact that he's always lived up to his name. You know what the word says, and I, and, and I want you to listen to this carefully. Come and taste and see that the Lord is because there's never been one let down because he's always lived up to his name. That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.